Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast: Intimate Personal Conversations with Theater's Biggest Names. I guess today I'll be myself. I'm Alan. I'm Jillian. <laughs> this is the next episode of the Beetlejuice Takeover Month, this time with the self-proclaimed Jurican Leslie Kritzer. Makes me so happy. Yeah, her her dad was Jewish. Dad is Jewish. Mom is, uh, Puerto, Rican. is Puerto Rican. And it led to some interesting times at home. Quite the combination. <laughs> um, it's just it, walking down the streets in New York. Yeah, pretty much. Interestingly enough, she is now the second person that we've interviewed that's literally said theater saved her life. Mm-hmm. She was... A troubled teen. Troubled teen. Not entirely her fault. She had some stuff going on, and theater gave her an outlet and gave her something to be productive with, as mm-hmm. opposed to she said she used to steal and cause trouble and all these different things, and she found her place. Yeah, it gets better. Yeah, it gets well. It gets better, and it you know it allowed her some self expression and connecting with you know the the word tribe. I don't know if that's overused yet, but she found her tribe. She found her people. And and fell into being comfortable in her own skin for the first time in a long time. But you know, this is all serious stuff, but she's a funny person. Mm-hmm. She's a very funny person. You know, now um, currently starring as Delia in Broadway's Beetlejuice, this woman just steals every scene she's in. Really funny. She's good. Well, her and Alex Brightman on stage, geez, the two of them mm-hmm. are incredible. But um we we got into into how she was saying that uh, the show and especially now the soundtrack are bringing in a new generation of fans that are sharing the same love of the story that they that their parents mm-hmm. did because their parents watched the movie and then obviously the children coming in now were born after the movie was released and are falling in love with it again in a slightly different form because they've changed a few things. But um, it's just incredible. She was saying the stage door feedback, it's like teenagers and adults who are just following, you know, the cult, yeah. cl- cult classic following adults. But um, it's it's a really interesting episode. She covers so many things, and we bounce around in a few topics, but it's worth it. Stick with it. It's, it's a great interview. Before we get into it, as always, ttp.fm to subscribe, to listen, to rate, to review, and show your support on ttp.fm slash Patreon. You can get some really cool rewards and help us continue transcribing these episodes. We've started transcribing to get uh, get ourselves more accessible to the world, and that's all in thanks in part to all of you. So we appreciate it, and now please enjoy this episode with Leslie Kritzer. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Currently starring as Delia Dietz in Broadway's Beetlejuice, this actress made her Broadway debut in Hairspray in 2004, followed by a string of amazing roles in Legally Blonde, A Catered Affair, Elf, and Something Rotten. 
With a national tour and 10 off-Broadway credits to her name, she's currently proving herself as one of the funniest people on Broadway eight times a week. Leslie Kritzer, welcome to the Hi. Theater Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So, yeah, you had puppy troubles at the stage door today? Um, pup, what do you mean? You said you were held up by a puppy? Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I went to the wrong address. And oh. <laughs> I went to our press office and I got to meet Molly's gorgeous little puppy, which was like a kismet because I've watched this puppy on Instagram. And the puppy I, has its own. What's, she, what's probably the puppy? What's the pu- puppy's Instagram account? No, no, no. It's just Molly's Instagram oh, just Molly account. And, and she has the puppy on there. And I finally got to meet her and she's gorgeous. Oh. I think she's a pug. She's a pug. Oh, she's okay. Perfect. Well, let's start. Let's go back to to baby Leslie. Where did where did you start? Like you grew up, you were born in Manhattan. I was born in Manhattan. You didn't, you didn't grow up in Manhattan. No, I grew up a little bit in Bergen County in uh, Fort Lee, the Fort Lee area. And then when I was about five, we moved out to Livingston, New Jersey, where I stayed through high school. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm kind of, uh, I'm a New York girl, but more a Jersey girl, really. So you still consider yourself a Jersey girl? Yeah. I mean, I still, I live there. I, I moved back after a number of years. My husband and I moved back, and I moved back with him to New Jersey. We, we now live in South Orange. Is that hard commuting after shows at night? Yes, I always yeah. I always want to come back. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, I don't know if we could do this. It's been eight years. It is hard. I mean, it's because you know you live in you live in the city, Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah, that's kind of where I want to go. Um, but it, it depends, right? With your train ride, it's the same with us with New Jersey, New Jersey Transit. It's like one day it could be normal, the other day it could be terrible. You know, the MTA, same thing. So. What is this saying? Three and a half, one dozen of the other. What? Six of one, half yeah, dozen of yeah, another. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, my commute's about 30, 35 minutes. But it feels longer because it's a different state. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you have to grow Maybe state that's, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, for you, it's a river. For me, it's like a tunnel right. and then a bunch more. Land. Yeah. It depends on what line I take. I either get stuck on a tunnel or stuck on a bridge. But yeah, I'm, right. st- I'm stuck on the MTA either way. Right. But um, your childhood, father is Jewish. Yes. Mother's Puerto Rican. Yes. What was that home life like? Um, it was uh, nutty. I mean, but it didn't feel. I mean, let me let me think. I'm now I'm going back. Um, it was always full of music. I mean, yeah. my dad was a musician, so he actually did the whole Catskill circuit as a saxophone player, but also was an accountant, and then realized he was never going to make enough money being a sax player in a band. He had a band, like he was on American Bandstand for those people who are listening that remember what American Bandstand was with um, Dick. Dick Clark. Dick Clark. Um, He had like a band on that. Like he grew up as a musician and then realized like that wasn't going to happen. But he uh, was always playing sax around the house. And then my mother was always playing music. She was very musical. Not like, um, uh, she didn't study an instrument, but music was a big part of our house. We played all different kinds of music all the time. We were always dancing. So it was a very musically inclined, kind of also very funny. My dad is very funny. So we had that and, um, you know, <laughs> Spanish food, Jewish food, all different kinds. My family is, you know, Hispanic and, you know, Polish, Jewish. So it, it, it was definitely an eclectic sort mm-hmm. of family. And I grew up in a pretty, it felt like a predominantly Jewish town, Livingston. Um, so there wasn't really any Puerto Rican people in Livingston at all. So, it, but it didn't ever feel like I was different. Really, I just I I didn't go to Hebrew school, and I didn't um, 
like I didn't get I like I didn't have a bat mitzvah or anything like that. So, but I always say that I'm Jew-Rican because it's the easiest way to explain it. And it's very funny. <laughs> just funny. It's just like, what? So I did always say I'm a Jew-Rican princess. Did, did either of your parents, I mean, you were raised Catholic, right? That's what. I was raised Catholic, yeah. yes. So did your father convert at all or had he, had he just not care? No. My really? parents like were like, mm, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. And my mom's like, you're going to be Catholic. I was like, okay. <laughs> my dad's like, ah. and so that's kind of what, what happened. My sister and I were both you know, baptized, confirmed, like communion, baptized, communion, confirmed, like all in one swoop when we were, you know, when I was what, 13 and she was eight or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of the decision was just made and I was like, okay. And then the fear of God was put into me. Um, of course. <laughs> you will be punished. So, uh, but no, it was great. And my, my mother was, you know, is semi-religious and it was a thing every Sunday and it was nice. We would dress up and all that, but I'm not really a practicing Catholic anymore. I'm more spiritual. Well, that yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. Uh, the performing, you said you're always singing and dancing. and You said we. I guess it was you and your sister and mm -hmm. mom, mom and dad and everything. Mm -hmm. when, when did you start, like, getting on stage and realizing, like, oh, I like the attention? Or um, was it about the attention? Well, I guess, you know, my first memories of having theatrical experience was when I was I think I was five or six. We did this play called The Crocus That Wouldn't Bloom. And I was the caterpillar that turned into the butterfly. And my parents videotaped this. It's probably somewhere, I don't know where, but I remember being older, watch, going back and watching this. My mom made the cat caterpillar costume. And she told me, she, she's like, you were very particular even then. You wanted to make sure you knew all your lines. You were upset with other people. They didn't know their lines. You had your blocking. <laughs> I remember doing a quick change with my mother, and this is an elementary school, and being like, Mom, it's not like being like, I can remember that. And then watching the video years later, I had blocking. Like I was looking, when I turned into the butterfly, I was like doing all this stuff. And so it started then. I just think I had a natural inclination to play pretend and to have fantasy and all of those things like most other kids, but then it started to progress. Mm -hmm. So it started there. And then when I was seven, I started studying classical piano and I was a classical pianist for years. And that's kind of what I did. My dad was like my coach because he was a real musician. And so I studied and then, um, I played Carnegie Hall when I was nine. For, I did a national competition, so that was, like, a big deal. Played what? Um, a piano. A piano, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I was second place in this national competition for my age group. So we, we all the different age groups, they, we played at Carnegie Hall. Wow. While, not the big, not the big, big one, but while recital. That's the smaller one. But it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. So that's kind of where it started. And then I knew piano wasn't, like for me because uh, just classical because I wanted to get up from behind the piano. So, and I wanted to sing. And so I started, it's, my parents started noticing that when they were playing music in the car and stuff, I could hold a tune very easily. And then um, I started to want to sing. Then I was always doing the plays as a middle school, you know, getting older or whatever. And then in high school, when I was 16, my, my piano teacher said, you know what, I think you should start if you want to take voice lessons, go to Jane Bunnell. And Jane Bunnell was an opera singer at the time at the Met. So I started studying classical voice. So for a belt, now belter, 
And I also sing classical, like I sing soprano or whatever, but I was a legit singer, Mm -hmm. soprano one. I was not belting at the time. Like it was just only that. Like Glinda sort of stuff. Yeah, like Glinda. And I did all state chorus, all region chorus. So I started really moving in there and I was like, oh God, wow, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to go to school for classical voice, you know? But as high school went on, I was like, wait, um, and, you know, I did chorus line. It was Maggie in a chorus line. I was, you know, I did random, you know, little shows here and there. Funny story, fun fact, Stephen O'Remus, who also grew up in my town, who's, you know, really big musical director, Wicked, Avenue Q, you know, the list goes on and on, and an orchestrator. He was a musical director for my first community theater production of Baby, because he grew up in my town. So we worked together when I was 16. Wow. And I have video of that. That's hilarious and so many photos. So anyway, so I was like, oh, wait, I like to sing. I like to act now. I'm funny. Did some plays in high school. I think I want to go to school for musical theater. And so it all just shifted. It all happened naturally. I did not, you know, I, I would like drive to Montclair, New Jersey and get backstage and like look. But I, my parents weren't like, yes, you have to go into the city audition like, Presley Ryan in our show is 15 and she's the Lydia understudy. Like mm-hmm. her parents, like she's a full-on pro. I, uh, my parents were not like that. And I'm kind of glad because I had normal, like sort of a normal upbringing. I don't know if I would have done well. Presley's like a pro. I was never that normal. Um, <laughs> she's she's just like on it. I was a mess when I was 16, 15. Um, That's you're yeah. supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, getting in trouble. I don't know. I got kicked out of camp. Uh, anyway, so... Um, Is that a story? You, which, which camp? I got kicked out of Lohican, but that was in seventh grade. I got kicked out for stealing. <laughs> 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 which I talk about. I do a show uh, I do a show called Beautiful Disaster, which is actually about my senior year of high school, and I talk about how I had a stealing problem. I had a stealing problem for quite a number of years. You legit klepto? I was a legit upset because my parents were getting a divorce and I wanted to feel like I had control. So I would steal, you know, and and something I openly talked about. And then, you know, I, it's, I stopped, I mean, I stopped, but it was, you know, high school was difficult because my parents were going through a divorce. And so admits, you know, um, uh, in in the middle of all of that, I'm like, my parents are going through divorce. I'm almost not graduating high school because my grades are so bad. Everything is a mess. I'm going to school for musical theater. And I got into one of the top schools from musical theater. In the middle of all that craziness, I said, I'm going to CCM. That's where Faith Prince went. That's where I'm going. And I know Faith Prince because of Guys and Dolls at the time. I looked at that playbill. I saw where she went and I had mine made up. And I auditioned and I got in. I mean, it was a miracle because really, and this show that I do, Beautiful Disaster, goes all through that senior year. I play all the characters, like all these people that I went to school with, the Mm -hmm. teachers, and how I literally passed with my like a perfect D average, <laughs> like <laughs> right. Oh, I just made it because I had done so terribly, and it, and it wasn't. It wasn't that I wasn't smart. It was just that I just had not applied myself. Oh, that word, applied yourself. Um, and I was going through a tough time, and all I wanted to do was perform. I mean, when I say that, like theater kind of saved me, it was true because I I could have wound up a very having a very different life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really long answer. I went through like whole, but but that's kind of in generally what happened. And then the rest is history. And then I went to school and I stopped stealing. <laughs> so when you first said that, I thought it, I thought it was like uh, one of a jokey thing, like I'm going to impress my friends. But no, there was like a, a real oh, psychological yeah. need. I wanted, I mean, if we're going to like get deep for two seconds, like for as a kid, you know, when my parents were going through a lot, it was very difficult. 
on many years of difficult relationship that they had. Um, I, I, it was the only, one of the few things, and thank God it wasn't drugs or anything else that, you know, you can act out with, Mm -hmm. um, that I felt like I had control. Like I felt like everything at home was falling apart. So the one thing I could do is take something for someone else. And that's so wrong. It's terrible. Um, but I have, uh, it, it took me many, many years to actually feel like forgive myself for doing all those things. And I've done things in order to repair that for mm-hmm. myself. I've given back a lot. I've given money to charity. I've done many, many good things to, even as an adult, you know, you think, oh, seventh grade, you're in seventh grade. And I'm like, oh, I still feel bad about it. But I've done things in order to, uh, forgive myself from those times because I was a kid. I mean, you know, even, even 16, 17, you're a kid, you know, especially if you're going through a difficult time. So I've done many things in order to like let go of that. So now as a 42 year old woman, I don't feel bad anymore because I know I've done a lot of good things in the world. So So the the Catholic guilt sort of creeping in a little bit. Oh God. But you know, it's anyone, I always believe that people can, um, redo you know, like they can learn from things if they choose to. Well, change, you're not, you're not going to keep the same friends when you're changing. And sometimes, well, a lot of times if you're in a bad situation, that's for the better. Because, right. Yeah, because you want to go to a different place that is a better place. Right. But it all informed everything that I do now. I mean, I, I, um, I don't think I'd change anything. It's just like, you can't really. So why even think that way? I think everything was supposed to happen exactly the way it did. Um, you know, maybe if my parents were like super great and everything was good, I would have been like, um, you know what? I'm going to go to Brown or something. Or like, I'm, you know, I don't want to do theater. I want to, I'm going to do great in school now and I'm going to go and have, get a liberal arts major or whatever. But it didn't happen that way. Like right. maybe everything was supposed to happen exactly. Now I'm not promoting don't do well in school. I'm not saying <laughs> that at all. I'm actually saying don't do my career. If, unless, like, if you want to do what I do, great. Make sure it's the only thing that you do. And you don't want to do anything else. I never say get into this career unless you really, really want it. So yeah. I guess I wanted it bad enough. Well, that's what somebody told me. They're like, if you can see yourself doing anything else, do that. Because this is one of the worst businesses it's that there so is. It's hard. I mean, it's so great. I always tell kids, like when we do talkbacks, I'm like, this is amazing. Our, our world that we live in is the craziest, most unique, amazing job. And it's also the hardest. And it could you know, chew you up and spit you out in every aspect. And, and, you know, from, from producing to being an actor to just anything, it's just so fickle and uncertain. Mm -hmm. Um, But the rewards of it can be amazing. Yeah. And well, you got to be strong enough in, in so much as that you have to handle all the rejection because there is tons, tons of rejection. So much. Because all you see, like we see you, like you're on stage now in Beetlejuice and you know, this credit, this credit, this credit, but there's all those times in between. Oh, and even within Beetlejuice, even even within it, even, you know, going through three years of, of, of developing the show, you know, you constantly have to weather things. Like when, you know, you don't necessarily always, and I'm just saying like generally, you do a show, you want award nominations or you want great reviews or you want this, then you think you're doing the best work of your life and you don't get this or you don't get that and you're like wait is it me did I do something wrong no it's it's sometimes there's no there's there's it's like the way the wind blows sometimes then you'll be doing a show where you're like I'm okay in the show and then you get every 
you get all these awards and you get all these reviews. And you're like, I think I'm terrible in the show, but people love me. Okay. You know what I mean? It's it's truly, it's crazy. It's Do you crazy. read reviews? Oh, I read all of them. Really? <laughs> I read all of every other show's reviews. I read all of my reviews. I find it interesting. I like to be knowledgeable about how things are going. I look at grosses. I look all, I'm at the point in my career where I'm like, cool. You don't like me? Great. You like me? Awesome. Can't control it. Five years ago, maybe like I would have been crumbling on the floor if I got a bad review. But now it's, I really kind of like go, well, it's just your opinion. I still have my job. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as I feel I can go to bed at night going, I am literally doing the best I can possibly do every single show at the highest level that I can do it for that day. I don't care what anyone thinks because I can't really can't control what anyone thinks. I mean, none of us can. Right. Did did you um, when you used to read bad reviews? Did, did you try to adjust your performance after that, or or how did that affect you? Um, and I shouldn't say like if I don't read like if I get a weird review now or someone says something it doesn't like twinge me. Of course, like I'm a human being, but how did I? No, I don't um, because I honor what the director and the writers have and what we created in the room. Period. I, I don't adjust it. I mean, we created it together. It's not my choice. To, to adjust it. Mm -hmm. It's, I'm not a one man band. I'm one of many. So that is just, it would just be bad. It's, well, yeah. Okay. Well, you said getting the Beetlejuice for a little bit, you said that um, three years, three years that you were involved with the, with the development of the show. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about how you got involved. When did it first start for you? Well, I was doing a show called The Robert Bridegroom with. Alex Timbers mm -hmm. at the roundabout, Laura Pels. And that's the first time that Alex and I started working together. Um, <clears throat> and then I found out, you know, like we all found out he was doing Beetlejuice or new. And then I was like, oh, man, it'd be great if I could do Delia. Like it was in the back of my mind, but I never said anything. He came to me and he was like, Are you, would you be like, Alex is so funny. He's like, so, um, <laughs> you know, I'm doing Beetlejuice. And would you like, you know, would you like be interested in doing that? I was like, yeah. I was like, yes, of course. Like, yes, yes. Um, and then we did our first, I think it was a workshop or reading. I don't remember. I think it was one of them. Um, yeah, about three years ago because Sophia was not the first Lydia. There was another actress that was Lydia. And then when I met Sophia, she was 15. So it was right. three years ago. She just turned 18. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's about it's about three it's about three years, and that was it. I stayed with it the entire time, and Delia has morphed into many different like so much has changed with with her. Not a train like lines and so many different versions, but yeah, and that that's how that happens, and that's very rare. It was changed from the film, the character. Oh, it's so different. Yeah, it's very yeah. very different from the Queen, right. Catherine O'Hara. Right, because Catherine O'Hara, uh, no that, one can touch her. <laughs> that that character. Um, in the in the film was an art an art sculptor. Yeah. And now your your Celia is a or Adelia is a um, life coach. Is a life coach. Yeah. Was was that you? No, that was them. They set up. Uh, she's a life coach. She's the girlfriend. Comes in to try to help Lydia. Yeah, love. You know, they have a little relationship. That was set up. Everything in that was all there. I did not add. That. I added my other stuff, but you know, the, the basic character was on the page right. when I came in. So the, I mean, the the character is overdramatic and this sort of like super insecure person. Yeah, 
I don't know anything about that. <laughs> how much of yourself did you bring to this versus how much, like, over the top did you go and you're like, I'm just going to go as hard as I can and then tell, have Alex tell me to come back? I mean, I think because, I think when I create, like, on my feet, I just kind of, I read what's on the page, I, and then I just kind of add things as I go along. Like, I literally paint. And that's what it is. I paint with comedy. I paint with inflections. And I, I take all of my stuff that I've learned and my shtick from over the years, all of it, and I bring it. And then, you know, for her, she reminded me a little bit of this character that I did called Pickles in the Great American Trailer Park musical. I always say <laughs> she's she's as close, like I took a little bit of that, that kind of wonderment, that kind of like, oh, because she believes in all of this. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, as my guru Otho says, you know, um, sadness is like kale salad. No one likes it. Throw it out. You know, it's like these goofy sort of things. And then plus the whole spiritual warrior movement. Like now it's like everything's about cleansing and spiritual, but it's all kind of BS also. Right. You know, it's kind of like bullshit. Um, so I just pulled from all this stuff. And yeah, I can go as far as I want with things. And Alex, if Alex always will say, yeah, like take that back a little bit or do take that moment and then take that moment and do that bigger. So I I just kind of play. I mean, with our cast too, it's just like a fun group. So we can just, we just get on that playground and see and then cut snip. And and that's kind of how it it happens. And I and he trusts me, which is a big thing. You know, mm-hmm. he trusts me to do what I do and he stays out of the way. And I think the the best directors do that. They shape, they have a good eye, they know how to cast, and then they stay out of the way and then, you know, shape and after that. Right. Because if you hire good people, they'll do the work for you. It's that's always been in my experience. That's uh, how I see. Right. Things. Well, yeah, working with Alex. Uh, I mean, the cast is so incredible anyway. Like, Sophia came out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And it just is incredible. Like, her voice for this tiny little Same. package, just this this great thing. And you've got Carrie Butler, Rob, Rob McClure, and like, of course, um, Alex Brightman, the rest of the cast, they're all so incredible. And you Amazing. guys have found these moments on stage that, I, I don't know, I'm always, I'm always envious of the process of, you know, of course, when you're running it over and over and over again, you find things that that you didn't know were there, mm-hmm. and I mean, do you still get surprised on stage by these people every night, or is it just kind of like, all right, we're locked in, we're doing our thing? Yes and no. A lot of times we're locked in, we're doing doing our thing because there's not much else to do with that moment. Otherwise, we'll change the entire moment. Does that make sense? Like, there's certain things that are laid in; they have to be there, and they have to be done a certain way for the audience to understand, to set up other things. A perfect example of it, like one moment that Alex will play, Brightman, is when um, Shoggoth comes and it's like, oh, when, when she's like, oh, oh, Lawrence, you know, when you think they're going to make up, you know, and she's like, oh, that was beautiful. Sometimes Alex will look around and he'll do these like weird little faces and he changes that up every night because he can Mm-hmm. nothing is reliant on him to be a certain way. So as long as he's with Jill Abramovitz, who plays uh, Shagath, and in the moment with her, but he can add stuff. So I find it funny because I love his facial expressions. It's not like he's trying to pull focus or anything. He's just doing his own sort of shtick there, and he adds. The good, like, the moment where he says goodbye to everybody at the end, when he crosses to me downstage, 
And he does, sometimes he'll do a little dance. Sometimes he'll walk, sometimes he'll look at me, some, <laughs> sometimes or whatever. We have a moment there where that is very flexible. I have even thought sometimes, oh, maybe I'll hold on to the wall. But I'm like, you know what? And it adds the whole, it adds a whole other physicality that I, sometimes stillness is the funniest. I'm going to let my face do the work. I've, mm -hmm. I've noticed that. Even in the winter garden, we have, what, 1,500 plus seats. Stillness and a little movement on your face you can really have them with that. So it, that's been amazing to learn even in that theater. So yeah, like there's moments where we can crack each other up a little bit, but for the sake of the show and the storytelling, because there's so much going on in Beetlejuice, that if everything becomes loosey-goosey, then it's a mess. Yeah. You guys need to know where to look because there's so much to look at. Oh, it's incredible. And, you know, the puppetry, the, the same set it's is actually amazing. like three different sets and it's all over the place. It's but unbelievable. I, I was, I am... One of my favorite songs I'm most impressed with is your your in the afterlife. Oh, netherworld, your, yeah. Yeah, but the, I the netherworld. Yeah. What what's your character called? The uh, uh, Miss Argentina. Miss Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. Netherworld. Yes. You still got a little blue in your nostrils. Right I have now. them in ear, my ears. Well, it's a two show day, so it's on my neck. It's everywhere. <laughs> oh my god! When I take a shower at night after a two show day, it's like, oh, this is what I do for a living. <laughs> but I'll take it. Do you have Do you have a favorite song? In the show, is that it? That one, yeah. yeah. It's really fun. It's it's really fun. You know, the makeup, getting in and out of it is a lot. It's like a little bit of exhausting. Um, but I have such a good team of people getting me in and out that we have good, we have fun together. You know, is it, so it's full like paint or it's um, neck it? up. It's all makeup. So neck, front, and back, whole face is painted green. Wow. And then it's a bodysuit. The rest is the bodysuit. Yeah, I've, I wondered about that when I saw you come out. I was like, did she just like get her whole body airbrushed or something? Cool? And then you got to like go and do a uh, a shower afterwards and then come back out on stage or something? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's crazy. It's 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 like the, I never ha I never got to play Alphaba. So I always, a friend of mine who was an Alphaba said, see, you're dead Alphaba now. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're right across the street from Wicked. It's That's perfect. right. So the out of town tryout was in D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was talking to uh, Mark Kaufman, the producer, once a while ago, and he he was saying that that the the crowds when you first started performing, you came out and you opened in DC, and the crowds immediately you opened day one with this huge fan base because mm -hmm. it's become like the the cult following yeah. of the movie like preceded the opening of the show yeah like is it, and now it's changed to be honest has it really yes I really think it has now. You know, at first we knew when the movie people were there. People that know that movie, they know the plinth, they know the certain lines when she goes, I am strange and unusual. They'll go, woo, you know, you know. It's like when I did Legally Blonde. Mm -hmm. You know, whoever said uh, pink or orange is the new pink is seriously disturbed. Like they'd scream when they'd hear lines from the movie and certain things. We still can feel the movie people, the people that know the movie. But now we have a whole other fan base that is coming. Tons of people that just have heard our cast album, which by the way is, one of the best I've ever been a part of, that are coming because they heard that first and then they became Beetlejuice fans or they heard it first, then they watched the movie, then they wanted to, you know, come and see the show. So it's been like a really interesting progression since DC. You know, first you have that fan base, which mm -hmm. is still great, the movie people um, that are just fans from that. And now we have like a crazy mix and all of these young people like uh, coming and dressing up and doing, are the you know, Lip syncing stuff on TikTok on this app that now I'm on TikTok too, um, so I'm learning the new. I ways. refuse. I refuse. I'm, I'm 30, doing it. I'm 38. I refuse. You don't have to do it. I'm an actor. It's different. They want. They want me to do little things on there. I'm like, great. I'm game. 
Um, thank God you don't have to do that. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, the fan base is expanding and expanding and expanding. And it's just amazing. The artwork that we get from, from kids, the letters. I mean, I get tons of, you know, fan mail, not to like toot my own horn, but like also people reaching out saying that we're making them happy. Young, young people. I get most of the letters I get are from 13, 14, 15 years old. Hmm. And they're just reaching out and they're saying, we love the show. I love the cast album. It makes me feel so good. It makes me so happy. You know, people that have never even seen the show, they just have seen the cast album or our Tony Awards performance. So, uh, or anything else that we've done on television. And it's, it's kind of amazing. I've never been a part of something that feels like it's just getting bigger and bigger. Like the show is already big, like mm-hmm. physically. And then now it's, um, I've, I've never been a part of something like this before. Is the stage door feedback like sort of representative of, of the fan mail you get? Yes. I mean, it's crazy. I have, today I got, I got a, a piece, someone, I don't know how they got this. It's a piece of the wallpaper. They printed a piece of the wallpaper from the Maitland's house. I don't know how they, they were like, I, and they, they gave it to me. I'm like, this is crazy. I don't even know what this is, but it's cool. Um, I haven't even really looked at it, but it literally is the wallpaper from their house. Um, and yeah, they're, they, they're freaking out. They love it so much. I mean, I met a girl today in the subway. I'm doing this vlog right now for eight weeks. And this girl came up to me on the subway today at an audition this morning before the matinee. And I'm on the train. And whenever anyone comes, like I have my earphones and headphones in and when someone taps me automatically get nervous. I'm like, Oh my God, something's out of my bag or something. I'm like, uh, you know, like what's, I just get nervous immediately. And she goes, hey, I'm sorry. And I'm, she goes, um, I'm a, I'm, I've seen Beetlejuice five times. I just want to tell you you're amazing. And I'm a costume design major, blah, blah, blah. I was like, come with me. <laughs> <laughs> come with me. And, and I, you know, I exchanged um, information with her. And I'm going to give her a tour of the costumes and everything. Because she's a costume major. She's senior year in college. And, you know, people are, you know, it's like so cool for me to like, do something like that for her because I remember at her age I never had access like we don't have kids now have access like we never had so for me to like be able to go yeah you know what you're gonna come backstage we're gonna we're gonna meet you're gonna meet some people let you look at the costumes touch the costumes and this is you know she's here doing a summer internship it's it's awesome and that's how the stage door is these these kids are like flipping out they're all with their parents um and they, they love it. And the adults love it. It's like not just, I mean, a lot of young people wait by the stage door, but it's A, their parents, and then B, all these adults that just love it. It's like, I'm like, great, I'll, I'll stay in this show. Let's, well, let's hits, ride this out. Yeah, I love it, it. It hits both generations because the parents saw the movie. Exactly. Fell in love with that. I mean, that was that was my first exposure to Gina Davis. And I was like, oh, oh there's Gina, right? I know. Uh, yeah. Hello. And... And then now the kids, like you said, the access they have is incredible. I was talking with Andrew Barth Feldman the other day, right? And Dear Evan Hansen. Dude, he's talking about like teen depression and suicide and these heavy, heavy things that when I was his age, like like you said, yeah. you're just out getting getting into trouble. That's all I did. I was literally jumping my car across intersections. So we see I was stealing and you were jumping your car. For, I mean, come on. We're like cut from the same cloth. I could have really hurt myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's you, you. You. Wow. You trumped me. Wow. You never got hurt? No. No. Because I was always going in a straight line. Oh, my God. Wait. Where are you from? I'm just in North Carolina. North Carolina. Long, long. We're four years apart. 
So yes. you were a freshman when I was a senior. Yeah. Wow. So we grew up in yeah. the 90s. So I didn't have I didn't have broadband until college in 98. I said the word broadband to Andrew and he was like, what? It was I know. So I graduated yeah. in 99. We still were, when we were doing, uh, we were printing papers, we still had to do the preparation on the side. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, yeah. The, you remember, um, uh, was it Paint, Paint Shop Pro? Was that what it was? Or, I'm sure. It was something where you could make those long banners on the perforated paper. Yeah, on the perforated paper. That's yeah. right, Paint Shop Pro. The dot, ma- dot yeah, matrix yeah, yeah. Paint, uh, yeah, yeah, printers. Yeah, yeah. Dot ma- mm-hmm. And then when the when the, when the the laser printers came out, it was just like, whoosh, whoosh. when they just came out, you were like, whoa. <laughs> now pay phones are like a museum thing. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah landlines. Like, the hey, hey, Mr. Seals, is your is your son there? Like, no one's good. My kids aren't going to have to no. have to do that because everyone's going to have a cell phone. Or like the digital voicemail, like you had to put in the code to get your like thing. <laughs> when I got my own phone line, that was cool. I was like, wow, I have my own phone line. That got taken away real quick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think all the teenagers that are listening now just fast forwarded. They just yeah. yeah they're, they're like, like blah 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 blah. Uh, yeah, they're wearing all the clothes that we wore back in the day. Walk into any Urban Outfitters, they're all the clothes that we wore in high school. All of it. All the t-shirts, all the flannels. It all comes back. It's so funny. I, I used to wear, I'm like I'm 170-something pounds now, and I was 6'1", 150 until my mid-20s. Wow. So, But I would wear larges and extra larges, assuming I was going to grow into them. Oh, hilarious. So I never had any fashion sense. No one told me differently. There you go. So now when I, you know, I see people, like I wear, t- you know, fitting clothes now. I know, you look good. Kind of, well, thank you. Um, Stitch Fix. I don't buy my own stuff. I don't know how to, I don't know how good to shop. I got to turn my husband on to that. Stitch Fix is He won't bomb. listen to me. Okay. So back to the theater. theater. And you married a, you're married to Adam Feichner. Did I say yeah. that right? Vadim. Oh, Vadim? Yeah. Oh, Vadim. Vadim Feichner, yeah. But it, and no one gets it right, so that's normal. You're normal. I was like, Feichner? How do you pronounce that? Vadim? Okay. Feichner, you got perfect. Yeah. Most people say Fichtner, so you got Feichner right. Oh, well. Um, so you married him in 2013. I did. Married, you married a non-civilian. I did. I did. Yeah. So he's in the business. He's so in that, the business. Does that make it easier or harder? It makes it most times easier because we get our crazy schedule. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we both go through tech. We both get that. We both understand crazy uh, creative teams and processes and heartaches when shows happen or they don't or, you know what I mean? Like, we get the lingo. Mm -hmm. We have shorthand, you know. Um, We're that couple that is sitting in bed up at 10, 15, 10, 30 when the Ben Brantley review comes out on a new show. I mean, we're nerds like that. Uh, (laughs) And we love it. We love, he does, the, he he will still, occasionally, if it's my show, he will go on the message boards and look what people are saying. He does not tell me, but he nerds out on that. He does not post, but I'll out him on that. Um, yeah, it's, um, we have, we we get it. We get the business. And mm-hmm. the, I guess the only downside to it is that it's not, if I, if one of us had married a muggle, uh, we w- could possibly have a more stability in the sense of like, although what is stability in our life right now in this day and age, but in this area, in this, yeah, it's craziness. But, um, you know, not one of us is not a nine to fiver, mm-hmm. you know, we're both freelance. So anyone who's freelance and in the arts, it's crazy. So, so maybe, but again, it, it works and we, we make it work. And sometimes he'll be out of town for periods of time. He just got back into town. So, like, I was a single mother to our two animals. And I had a, 
deal with all that stuff and, you know, but that's like small potatoes, you know, right. most of the time it's, it's wonderful, you know, to, to be with someone that's in the business that gets it. Yeah. I, I think so. My wife, um, she's in finance. So. Nice. Good job. <laughs> does wow. Not, does not get any you of You married this. up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I married out of my league. Most definitely. Um, Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I I, I I miss, well, I used to perform, so like this is, I, and then I got a technical, I went the technical route instead of Yeah, I was like saying, I know, you have, you do a lot of things. Right, right, right. So like, this is getting back into it, and she's like, okay, I support you, but make sure you come home every night, or whatever, you know, the case may be, right? So, so it's really, it's. You're artistic, that's cool. I know. And Nine she, to fivers, a lot of times, like, she must love that about you, you know, because she married you. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So, that's more interesting, a lot of. Nine to fivers are boring. At least the ones that I used to date. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. Well, that's I. T I have I have tended to date people in non-traditional jobs. See. Yeah, because I I don't I don't like that normality. No, it's but, not for me. I'm not like I used. It always works out the way it's supposed to. So yeah. you marry the person that you're supposed yeah. to marry. Right. And so, seize the deo. What is that? Oh, so I'm doing a vlog for Broadway.com for. Eight weeks. I thought it was six weeks. Then I looked at the email and it said eight. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but if anyone can do it, it's me. Like I told I I totally I, I, I talked to myself out of like a like a oh my god place the other night. I was like, Kritzer, you do this shit on Instagram like all the time. Like you 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 make stuff all the time. This is easy for you. So just because it's gonna be on a maybe a like bigger platform in the sense of and it also has to be a certain way. And you have to put Beetlejuice, the show, into it a lot. Doesn't mean anything. You could do whatever. And they said, do whatever you want. So um, so we're on. We just released the second episode. Mm -hmm. So we have a bunch more to go. And it's been fun because I'm trying to really show what our, sh like, our show is like. This past episode, uh, uh, Presley Ryan got to go on for Sophia for the first time as Lydia, which is very exciting. You know, people love to say, oh, my God, how does that work? You know, she's going on. Out of nowhere, she's well rehearsed. I mean, they, our stage management team got her ready, and it's exciting. The entire building was so excited for her. Of course, you know we love Sophia, but everyone's going to be out at some point. Mm -hmm. Everybody—that's the name of the game. That's why we have understudies and standbys mm -hmm. and swings. Um, and everyone in that building will be out at some point, so it's not a big deal. And she did great. It was good for her. So that was something I got to show. You know, I'm starting to make up characters around, um, which we're going to do more of. I think we're going to do this segment called Real Housewives of Beetlejuice, which we're <laughs> going to start, you know, featuring some of the characters and, like, do what they do on The Real Housewives. Um, and then, of course, show the show behind the scenes within reason without showing too much um, of the secrets yeah. of, of the, the show. And, um People have been asking me, oh, you're going to show the Argentina change. So I'm like, well, you have to watch the entire series to see if we do it or not. So we'll I loved see. I loved the, the behind the scenes aspect of it. Yeah, it's like, fun. Because it, as like a theater nerd, that that I mean, any big show, I'm always looking at the technology behind it. And yeah. then to see the human side of it too, I think is incredible. So I I enjoyed I enjoyed watching it. Oh, and thanks. I'm yeah. we're gonna show more, like I'm gonna do a whole thing with Austin who is uh, on props and like how, how, what it's like to, to kind of deal with that. And like, so mix in the show and people that make the show happen and also funny stuff and stuff that I do. And so that it's a like, and, and I think one other thing I'm going to do is like 
real things. Like how do we, you know, the big question that a lot of people want to know is how do we maintain this HO a week thing? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we're going to put something in about vocal health. A bunch of us have had, um, in the community have had vocal issues. I mean, it's like being an athlete. Wasn't it, was it Jessica Vosk that just started, a, it was a couple days ago, I think. Casey Levy. Oh, Casey Levy, yeah. And yeah. I just texted her today because yeah. she and I mentioned something, Brightman mentioned something, someone yeah. else. Yeah, And so I think at some point down the road, I'm, so I, I'm starting to learn how to like plan these things. Um, I'm going to have a like a couple of minute conversation with some actors that people think, oh, they must have never had vocal problems. And Casey was like, yes, we had to do this because there's a stigma around it. There's no possible way you can't get tired. Mm-hmm. We're, an eight show a week schedule, opera singers don't do that. And they don't do that for a reason because it is really grueling. We can do it, but it, it takes a certain amount, depending on the show, uh, real work and dedication. And when you get hurt, I have, I've, I've hemorrhaged um, twice and it is not fun. And it's terrifying. I've had to have a, I had a, a blood vessel on my cord burst and I had to have it cauterized. I had to put a laser down my throat. Mm. I mean, that was terrifying. Uh, I was like, oh my God, what if I, my voice never sounds the same again? What if I, you know, and, and so there's a stigma around it. Like people don't want to talk about it. And it's like, wait, but we're athletes. Athletes break their legs and right. they sprain stuff and they're out for a whole season. Yeah. And, you know, why are we trying to be superhuman? There's no way. They're two little tiny folds of, of skin right. rubbing the, together. That's this, is, this is like, it's, you're like in the Olympics of Broadway. Yeah, that's, that's you know, it's, um, it's, it's impossible. So I also agree in, in every sense of the word. Mentally, it's difficult. I mean, you know it's a job and it's a great job and it seems like fun. And it's for a lot of people, it seems like a hobby, but it is not a hobby. It is, it is, um, it requires a certain amount of energy. So to and even now when I say, Oh God, I feel so like I'm getting down on myself for being tired. I'm like, you have not to be tired. You only work two and a half hours a day. I'm like, no, but it's really more than two and a half it's like hours. Like you're sprinting a day. for two and a half hours a day. Yeah, it's it's a focus that requires more. And at my age too, it's not like 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. You know, it requires something different. So someone someone um, that is five years younger than me or 10 years younger than me yeah. can go out for drinks and stay out till two in the morning and come in and sing a two-show day and be fine. I That's not me anymore. Um, and it doesn't make me sad. It's just the reality. You know, it's like, well, my priority is my job, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and my health because – I like my job and I like making my money. <laughs> I like affording my life and I don't want to be out if I don't have to be. Right. But if I need to be out, I do not feel bad about it and I don't um I don't kind of beat myself up if I need to be out of a show right. for the longevity of my career. Yeah, the first time I, I talked about this with somebody was Patty Muir and she posted this whole thing about like just feeling so incredibly guilty mm-hmm. around calling out of a show. Yep. And and the responsibility of like letting down her fan and even Lauren Benanti too because she's mm-hmm. she's very vocal about her auto, autoimmune disease. Yeah. Um, every time she calls out, it's just she's like, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry," and everyone is so supportive. Mm-hmm. Yet, you still feel bad about it, right? Well, yeah, because you're on the poster, right? You're in the pictures. You're your original cast. You're on the cast album. Every you know that person is sitting in that you know whatever price ticket seat and a lot of times they're very expensive and they're coming to see the cast that they want to see. So you feel bad. You you feel you have responsibility. At the same time, you are a human being and you're 
not a robot. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. It is, it's really hard, but you do, you do your best. And our understudies and our, I've been an understudy, I've been a swing, I've been a standby. Understudies at our show are excellent Mm -hmm. and they all, and here's the thing too. And, and I don't, it's not a controversial statement. It's just the truth. Actually, we are all replaceable. Mm Mm-hmm. A show moves on. People leave. There's new cast members. I've been in shows where I've had two or three different people replaced. Those people are great. They're not the original, but they're they're great. Rob McClure and I came in and we replaced in something rotten. We had a, we were awesome. The the original cast, you know, what was it? Um, Brian Darcy James and Heidi Blickenstaff were amazing. But we came in and we did our thing. People loved us too. So it's not like the person who replaces me. Let, let, I mean knock on wood, our show runs and runs. And like, I go get another job somewhere. Um, at some point, I don't want to, but <laughs> the person who replaces me is going to be fabulous and she'll be her own Delia and Miss Argentina. Mm-hmm. I am replaceable. It, it, it's just, so the point is when understudies go on and they're ready and they're fabulous, which ours are, it is an invitation and experience for you to be able as an audience member to see someone else. And I think that's exciting. I saw Maureen Moore go on for Bernadette Peters and Gypsy and she was brilliant. I will never forget. I will never forget her performance. I love Bernadette Peters. Don't get me wrong. But to see more and more. Now I know who more and more is. And I've known her for years. I mean, if I hadn't seen her, I don't know if I'd ever knew, would know who she was if I had seen her in something else. So it's, ex- it's, ex- it's exciting. We're a family, we're a team. Mm-hmm. And um, we all work together and it's part of the deal. Oh, I enjoy, I enjoy interviewing like talking and meeting swings and understudies and alternates. And oh my God. They are so, it's the hardest job. It's hard. Yeah, it's the hardest thing on there. Because yeah, especially swings, you have to know like four, sometimes like 10 different tracks. If you're a dancer, you have to know everything on stage. And our swings are brilliant. Yeah. I mean, they're really on it. All of, all of the swings that I've ever met that are good at their job, they're good at their job for a reason. I was literally told by a stage manager when I did Bat Boy, it was my first swing job. He's like, you're terrible at this job. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> I, this is not for me. I'll take one character role at a time. I could do it. And we, him and I are still friends. I love him. But it, I was like, you're right. I'm meant to originate a role and sit in it. <laughs> that's it. I was like, wait, what? I have to, you know. So I, I appreciated that honesty. It is a skill. And it's a skill that I don't have. And I'm I'm okay with that. The people that have it are brilliant. And they save our butts. And they're there. And they're also amazing. They're yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, let's wrap up the episode here. So I'll give you my three standard closing questions I ask everybody. The first okay. one is, what motivates you? What motivates me? Oh, God. Like, to what? <laughs> this is to, terrible. To get up in the morning to do what you do eight, eight times a week. Okay, that's, okay. What motivates me? Um, I get to play two different characters that I really love. Probably one of the best two characters I've ever done. Um, I I love coming to work, um, and I love making people laugh. It's very healing, even when I feel like crap. When I make fifteen hundred people laugh, I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something good in the world. You know, there's not much I can do to control what's happening right now, but that's one thing I can do. All right, and that's cool. So what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Learn everything. Immerse yourself in everything. Listen to every cast. If you want to do musical theater, I'll, I'll stick in that lane. 
listen to every cast album, see as many shows as possible, live at the the, uh, New York Public Library for performing arts. I lived there. I used to listen to cast recordings there. You can go and watch shows for free. I still go and watch shows there. Really? Yes. If I if I want to like research something, I mean that is if you're here, especially if you're in New York, it's an unbelievable resource. But immerse yourself in everything, even if it's community theater, even if it's your show at you know school. The more you know, the more you arm yourself with, the better. And train, absolutely train, a hundred percent. Don't just waltz in and think you're just because you can sing. You know you have to train. Without training, I would not have been as successful. I think. Well, like. Like we're talking about being an athlete, all athletes train. Yeah, off season yeah. too. Yeah, you got to keep going. Okay, yep. final Yay. question now. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? That's good Any thing. show that's running or not running or past. Yes. As many times as I want. Oh my God. Um, Here Lies Love. What is that? What? What? I... You need to erase this. <laughs> you need to erase what that statement. Uh, Here Lies Love was a David Byrne and Alex Timbers musical that oh, is downtown of the public. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, just oh, erase oh. that part. Just go, yeah. oh, Here Lies Love. <laughs> yeah, Here Lies Love. It's It was an off-Broadway show, and it was always different. It was one, It's one of my favorite shows ever. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. I'm joking. I, I don't. I've never seen Cats. <laughs> I've never seen the producers. There's so many shows. I've never seen Phantom Live. So don't worry. Well, if you're already in shows, you can't see I know, other like, shows the all produ- the time. I've never even seen Lion King. Oh, okay. That's okay, kind of yeah, a staple. See, okay, so we're okay, equal. Okay, okay, okay. We're equal. <laughs> <laughs> we can find you online uh, at on Instagram and Twitter at Leslie Kritzer. And of course, BeetlejuiceBroadway.com. Play yes. at the Winter Garden Theater. Get your tickets now. You can find more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as well at theater underscore podcast. Listen and subscribe. Please leave a rating, leave a review. It helps. This is produced by Jillian Hockman, edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music you are hearing underneath us right now. And Leslie, thank you to you for coming out today. This has been wonderful. Yeah, you're the best. I've had the best time. Oh, thanks. Thanks. (laughs) Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.